Miracy. Many people are promoting how great online courses are as selling a digital product. But the difference between a course and some other kind of digital product is that in order for it to work, people have to actually learn from it. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches course creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder of Rizuku, and I'm here with my co-host, Danny Eaney, the founder and CEO of Miracy. In each episode, we showcase a course and course creator who's doing something really interesting with their course. Our guest today is Rebecca Cuevas. Rebecca is the CEO and founder of Learn and Get Smarter, Inc., where she teaches busy, creative experts and entrepreneurs to create online courses. Rebecca, welcome to Course Lab. Hey, Abe. Hey, Danny. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So we'd love to get started by having you give us kind of the big picture. So what is the 30,000-foot view of your work, your expertise, and, and how you came to this wild world of online courses? I came to this world of online courses from the world of offline courses, and I've been an educator for my entire career. And around 2007, I started every classroom I went into, I was tripping over these digital whiteboards. And I started thinking it would be great to take my effective face-to-face trainings and put them online. But when I tried that, I did what most people do as a, a first step, which is take something that works well in the offline space and digitize it and put it online. And I discovered that it just really didn't create the same level of engagement that I was you know, expecting and that I want to provide. So I went back to school for a second master's in instructional technology. My first one is in curriculum development. And I struggled really a lot for seven years to still solve that problem. How do you create engagement? How do you create excitement and a dynamic experience while also making it very focused and very streamlined for an online learning experience? And through the process of doing my master's project, as well as all the research and and trial and error involved, I discovered what I call the course design formula, which is my research-based process of online course design. I've tested it with hundreds of online course creators, creating all different kinds of courses, and it works every time. When COVID hit, no one was expecting that, and I certainly wasn't, but it was such a joy to have something that could actually help people quickly get their courses online when they needed to and take away some of the stress and the overwhelm that people feel when they're coming from a place of having so much expertise and wondering, how do I structure this? Very cool. What's kind of your current primary way that you work with people or what's your core offering and and how much does that cost and so on? First of all, I have a book, The Course Design Formula, How to Teach Anything to Anyone Online. So that's a great way for people to learn about the ideas and the research and how it can apply to them. And then I also have a community that's free and we meet every Saturday morning. We've been meeting during the pandemic to talk about how to survive and thrive during these challenging times. And that's been like a a think tank. And then for paid offerings, I have private one-on-one course design coaching with various packages, depending on how much coaching people need. And then I have my master course, which is the course design formula master course, which I offer two cohorts a year, one starting mid-June and one starting mid-January. This is going to be my fifth cohort 
And people who have been with me since the pilot, they have stayed in there. So it's just a growing community of very creative entrepreneurs and experts who are really passionate about teaching well online. And I absolutely love that. I love my students. I love the the way they synergize and network with each other. And then I wanted to come up with something that would be more scalable. So I wanted to offer something that a lot of people could use at a lower price point, but that would be highly effective. And I also wanted to scale my coaching practice, which, as you know, is kind of an oxymoron. I mean, how do you, you can't scale yourself, right? But I did my best. And I think I came up with something that works pretty well, which was to create a very guided practice focused course, evergreen course, where learners will feel like I'm right there with them by their side, walking them through getting their course designed. And I modeled it on my three coaching session package. So I know from, you know, having done that with so many clients, I know how much can get done in one work session. I know that it takes three work sessions to basically high level outline a course. So I I turned that into a course and I'm really excited about it because now more people can can benefit from that without I tried to clone myself and I'm hoping I succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as this world of online courses has grown and gotten more popular and more mainstream, uh, the attendant, you know, niche of how do you create a successful course has also gotten, you know, more uh, complex and crowded. So how do you situate yourself within that? What is kind of your niche or, or focus or differentiation within the world of I'll teach you how to build your online course? Well, first of all, I love that question. Lots of people are teaching the business side, though nobody as well as you, Danny. So what I focus on is specifically how to structure the learning journey in the course. Many people are promoting how great online courses are as selling a digital product, but the difference between a course and some other kind of digital product is that in order for it to work, people have to actually learn from it. So how I situate myself is that I help you set up your course so that people can actually learn from it. And I also help you do it in a way that's fast and easy and fun for you. I have college professors in my, in my training or, you know, people who've been teaching offline for years. And that was me too. I already knew how to teach, but how do you make it work, you know, really efficiently in the online space? For example, we both came out with books around the same time and I was, you know, loved your book, Leveraged Learning. My whole book, my like 400 page book fit into nine pages of your book. So I'd say that, you know, your book gave us the the broad perspective to understand where are we in the education landscape. And I feel like what you said has become even more prophetic, you know, with what's happened to higher education with COVID. My book goes very deep in a very narrow slice that fits into that. It's pretty meta. You know, you teach an online course about how to create Excellent online courses, which, of course, I I relate. Exactly. But especially given your focus on instructional design and on engineering transformation, you've got to bake all the the tips and all the tricks. It's all got to be baked into the design of your course. Tell us about some of the things that you do in the design of your course to make it so effective. Well, you know, one of the really challenging things for online learning is the issue of cognitive load 
which is kind of the, if you think about it, like the friction or drag on the learning that's trying to get into your learner's brain. And the trouble is that the online learning interface itself, just by the fact that it's online and not in person, adds a lot of what's called extraneous cognitive load. In other words, it's not difficulty in learning that's part of the subject matter. It's difficulty in learning caused by the fact that people may not understand how to navigate or they're trying to download something and it doesn't work right. So since I know where those friction points are now from running live cohorts so many times, I decided that I needed to restructure my content in a way that would eliminate navigation challenges while keeping interactivity. And the solution that has really been helpful for that is digital flipbooks. Usually they start life as a PowerPoint, and then you save your PowerPoint as a PDF, and then you upload it to a flipbook making platform which there's lots of them, but the one that I use is Flipsnack, which I absolutely love. And I'm very grateful to them for their platform. And what that does is it gives you the ease of navigation of a book. It stays in one place and you just flip the page when you're ready. And the interactivity and dynamic qualities of the internet. So it removes the navigational complexity to as low as possible. And yet you can really up the dynamic interactivity. It makes learners more independent. I was racking my brain. How do I guide people through a process where I tell them, you know, if you were in a live coaching, say even live online coaching, you would talk and say, now do this. And then the learner would do something and you say, aha, okay, that's how that worked for you. Now let's do the next step. It's challenging to do that with video. I mean, you can say, Stop the video and do what I just said, and then start again when you're ready. The problem that happens with that is video is a medium that's designed to move. And if you're telling people to stop the video, you're kind of working against the affordances of the medium you've chosen. So I thought, okay, I need something that allows for short videos that stop at the place where I want someone to take action. And then when they're ready, they go to the next step. So the flipbook is perfect for that because I could just put a different short video on each page of the flipbook. The way I set it up, the video covers the whole page and the background looks like I'm just on the page talking to you, like I'm popping out of the page. And some of these videos are 30 seconds, one and a half minutes, two minutes with very targeted instructions. And the other interesting thing. Remember I mentioned the friction that happens when people download stuff, which you'd think would be easy. So instead of providing a lot of downloads, which you know I do with love in my heart, and I think I'm being gracious and I'm giving people something, but then they can't access it often for various reasons. I said, instead of that, let's have learners use their own note-taking methods or mind mapping or whatever technique they're most comfortable with for processing information, and I'll guide them through it, but they won't have to download anything. There were very few downloads in my course, but not too many. And I ran this by a beta tester who's not techie, and she loved it. She said, 
I was so happy that I got to use paper and pencil and do it my own way. And she told me something very interesting. She said that for her, she only uses Microsoft Word when she's kind of done all her note taking, done all her brainstorming, and this is a finished product. So asking her to, you know, think out of the gate in Microsoft Word was very stressful for her. I didn't know that. You know, that's that's one person's experience, but it might be many. So having people use the tools that they're comfortable with, with no friction from the online interface, and just using the online interface as a way to deliver the instruction has really been interesting. The real test will be to see, does this reduce the number of tech support calls? Because basically that cognitive load is what is the bottleneck that limits the scalability of a course. What I want to solve for is how do you make the course interactive, engaging, learner-focused, and scalable at the same time? I had solved for the first ones, but I hadn't solved for the scalability. And that's where the flipbooks are helping because they're reducing the, the complexity of the navigation and keeping a whole lesson in one course player window on a learning management system. So you don't have to scroll as much. So in terms of helping people learn in their own way, when I was thinking about how to scale my my master course, I thought, I've got like a high-end bistro boutique restaurant where I love to serve everyone exactly what they need, cook to order, artisanal. And how do I scale that? And the aha moment that I had was I have to make it self-service. So what I've tried to do is create a self-service version of that where you cook it up the way that, that works for you, but I give you everything you need to make that happen. Great. Danny, did you have a follow-up on that? Or? I was just reviewing my notes, but no, that was, that was very comprehensive. So I'm really happy with where we landed. Oh, good. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that's important for us to know? I mean, I think we've got like a really solid episode here. So great to have these amazing platforms and Thinkific, which I'm a Thinkific expert, and Rizuku, which is so great for promoting interaction between learners. And also, of course, Flip Snack, Flip Book Making Platform. None of this could happen without all of those supportive structures. So I feel like my specific role is to say, how do we navigate between all that to create a learning experience that makes light bulbs go off in people's minds? My mission is to light up the planet one mind at a time. I love that. Thank you. That was really great. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. All right, I'm going to do the readout. Rebecca Cuevas is the CEO and founder of Learn and Get Smarter, where she teaches busy creative experts and entrepreneurs to design effective and engaging online courses. You can find her at learnandgetsmarter.com. That's learnandgetsmarter.com. Fabulous. Thank you. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the very best insights and practical takeaways for you to take and apply to your own course. All right, Danny, it is time for the debrief. I had a really interesting example course today from Rebecca. Uh, what was what was jumping out for you? I'm really excited about the digital flipbook idea for how to kind of serve as the container for all the course materials. I think that's a really interesting idea and a really interesting response to the core challenge of cognitive load 
that is just inherent with navigating a platform that you may be unfamiliar with. So kind of really looking at how do you minimize that friction. I thought that was really cool. I Honestly, I don't have much to add. I think uh, this is an area that Rebecca is an expert in. She articulated it very well. Yeah, that's certainly something we can pull out as a, a principle that people should be aware of and should seek to uh, apply and implement in their own courses. That it's not just about the content that you have or you know how you help people solve problems or, or gain new understanding or get to a result. It's also how you present that in a way that is not going to be overwhelming and that is going to give them the right structure that they need to actually progress through the material. That's where a lot of courses that are designed by world-class experts can actually fall short because they're too complex. They assume too much on the part of the learner and wind up imposing essentially a, a mental burden that is is too high to facilitate effective learning. We talk sometimes about the curse of knowledge and how it's, it's almost easier to design a course if you're less further along in your journey once your knowledge is so internalized and so unconscious that you don't notice it anymore. It's hard to remember what it's like to be a beginner in a domain. But Rebecca's worked really hard to unpack that and to figure out what is it like for someone who is just starting to design their own online course and how do you make that experience not so overwhelming for them. Yeah, I also really like the insight that whenever possible, if it's feasible, if it doesn't compromise the learning experience, you want to allow people to work with their own tools, work with the tools that they're comfortable with. That way, it's just more intuitive for them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think a a lot of why she was able to generate these insights, it's not just from her like background in education research, but it's because it's like she started with coaching and working with private clients and then developed the insights, the understanding about people's questions and challenges and needs that then informed her course design. And especially for people who don't have the breadth of, of knowledge and background about learning design that Rebecca does, that could be a really, really great way to start because there's nothing like that immersive engagement with specific clients where you're talking directly with them and getting really deep into their questions and challenges. That's really going to allow you to design a course much, much more effectively than if you just try to kind of outline it based on general knowledge. I don't have anything else. Should I go straight to the readout? Yeah, go for it. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Danny Eamy, founder and CEO at Miracy, here with Abe Crystal, co-founder of Rizuku. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Mishi Lance assembled the episode. Danny Eamy, that's me, is the executive producer. Big thanks to Rebecca Cuevas for taking the time to tell us about her course. You can learn more about her work at learnandgetsmarter.com. That's learnandgetsmarter.com. Don't forget to tune into Miracy's new podcast, Making It. In each episode, a successful entrepreneur shares what making it means to them and what they've learned along the way. And to make sure you don't miss any of the really great episodes coming up on Course Lab, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you. We'll see you next time. And of course, knowing that I was going to come on here today got me to finish everything really fast. (laughs) It was very motivating. Well, I'm very glad.
All right, I'm going to do the readout. Tell me if I get this right. Okay. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind-the-scenes kind of thing. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head-on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun.
Oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session. <laughs>